We have been in a series where we've been talking about the mission of Grace Covenant Church, what we're trying to do. Uh, We actually just had a Life at Grace breakfast, if you've never done that. We have these breakfasts once a month at 9 o'clock where we talk about the mission, vision, and values of Grace Covenant Church, some of the programs like small groups and et cetera that we do as a church. And so we've been talking about this idea of who we are as a body, what we believe, why we do what we do. And the mission of Grace Covenant Church is to help people in our spheres of influence to encounter Christ in a meaningful way, to experience real biblical community, and ultimately to extend this kingdom out to uh, the rest of the world. And for us, that means extending it all along the Route 7 corridor, whether you find yourself in Reston, or in Leesburg, or in Percival, or in uh, South Riding, or in Great Falls, or wherever, or Sterling, like right now. So that, that is what we are doing. That's what we are doing as a people. And the last two weeks, we talked about what it means to encounter Christ in a meaningful way and what it means to have biblical community. And hopefully you've experienced both of those things thus far. And today we want to look at what it looks like for us to be a part of the process of extending the kingdom of God. What does it look like for you and me to be a part of the process of extending the kingdom of God? We're going to be reading out of the book of John, uh, the fourth chapter. So if you want to get your Bibles out, uh, it's a long portion of text. So I'm going to read it. And you can read along with me. Um, <clears throat> this is a, a, probably a familiar story if you've been in church for any length of time. If not, that's fine. We're going to cover it in detail. This is called uh, The Woman at the Well. I'm starting in verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew... Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying that I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where the people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. 
Father God, we come to you and ask for you to help us, first of all, to enter into your kingdom well. Lord, we want to come to Christ ourselves with our own needs, our own brokenness and sin, so that you might help us to to be the worshipers that you would call us to be. And God, we ask that you would help us to be like Christ in calling others into the kingdom so that others might come to you with their needs and their brokenness and might become worshipers. Holy Spirit, we ask for you to come right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is in a place called Samaria, and if you're not familiar, Samaria was uh, around near Judea, near Galilee, where, where Jesus had been ministering, but it was an area that they would pass through. Earlier on in the history of, of Israel, the Samaritans, this Samaritan uh, area had been basically established by Jewish people who were intermingling with other cultures and ethnicities, and it was considered a no-no. And so to the pious Jews, they were considered uh, less than. There was, there was some segregation that was happening there. There was some separation that was happening there. And so it was common for Jewish people actually to try and avoid Samaria and go around it, take a longer route to get from one place to another in order to not pass through. But Jesus, one, because he's tired, and two, because he has a plan, he's passing through um, Samaria. And it says in verse three, he left Judea and departed to Galilee and, as, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given his son. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, sat beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So it's about noon. It's noon in Samaria. It is hot. It is very hot. And, and he encounters this woman. And this is, it's a unique encounter and we're going to see some of the reasons that it's unique, but we're going to see that he addresses her need. He, he sees that she has a need and he addresses that need directly, but we, we're going to see that he doesn't just stop there. He addresses her brokenness and really her sin and her, her greater need, the deeper need that maybe she wasn't interested in, in having him talk about or touch. And then he's going to address himself to her. He's going to talk about who he is and what implications that has for her life. And family, as we, as we look at this, I want us to consider our own need, your need, my need, the things that bring us to God, the things that draw us to him, and then I want us to be willing to open up, not to me personally, but to, to God, for him to have the conversation about not just our need, but our brokenness, ultimately in order that we might be able to experience what it means to be a true worshiper, one who worships in, in spirit and in truth. And when we're able to go to God, when we've done so, when we've encountered Christ in such a way, we're able to go to others and extend this kingdom in much the same way that Jesus does. So let's look at verse, uh, starting in verse um, seven. Jesus begins to address her needs. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Her need was water. She was thirsty. But it's not just that she was thirsty because if, if she'd been any other person, it's likely that she would have come early in the morning or late in the evening when it was cool. It's unique, and, and John is making a point. He said it was about the sixth hour. If it didn't matter what time it was, he wouldn't have said it, but it's about the sixth hour. They start counting from 6 a.m. around dawn, and so it's, it's around noontime. So she's coming to pick up water in the middle of the day, and, and it's, it's hot. 
It's like in the summertime, no one is, is eating outside in the middle of July, you know, at, at one o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, people are inside. It's a ghost town outside. And, and so she is there alone. And we think that she's there alone. We're going to find out because there's some, there's some things in her life that would create shame. And, and we're going we're gonna to find out some things about who she is as a person that might make her want to avoid the crowds. The, the custom was that women would come together in the mornings or in the, in the evenings to gather water, but he, she is here by herself. And, uh, and Jesus shockingly engages her. Um, it, it's, it's funny the way it happens. She's there to draw water, and Jesus says, give, give me a drink. And, and she's, oh, you're, t- you're talking to me. Why are you talking to me? And part of the reason he was talking to him talking to her was because he was, he was thirsty. Jesus was a person. He was a human. He was not just God. He was, he was God, but he, and he is God, but he was also a human, and it said that he was thirsty. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus was pushing some boundaries. As I had said, the Samaritans were largely off limits to the Jewish people. In fact, to, to, to receive something for the sake of food from them or, or water would be to make that person, that Jewish person, ceremonially unclean. They'd have to go some, through some cleansing rites before they could participate in, in things in the temples. So they, they avoided this pretty, pretty heavily. And, and beyond that, there were some serious boundaries between how a, a man and a woman would interact in, in public settings. And so Jesus is pushing the boundaries here in, in order to engage uh, this woman. And, and we're getting a picture in John, early in John, of the fact that this gospel message was never intended to be kind of uh, siloed for just the Jewish people. And, and, and really this idea of God's redemption was never intended to be siloed to a particular people. Now we see the Jewish people in the Old Testament being selected, chosen by God, but they were not chosen by God to be the quote unquote chosen frozen or the, the, the select few, but, but what does God say to Abraham? I'm going to make you a blessing to what? All the nations. And so this is beginning to hint at the fulfillment of what God was going to do. A few weeks back, we talked about uh, in Luke how, how the gospel was, was growing in Judea, Samaria, and, and, and Galilee. And then later on in Luke, it would talk about how it goes to the ends of the earth. And this is part of that fulfillment of God taking this gospel message that began in, in Jerusalem, that began in Nazareth, that began in Galilee, and extending this kingdom. He shockingly engages her and asks for a drink. Jesus would have been ceremonially unclean, but he is not concerned about these things. Now, the Samaritan woman is understandably, uh, she's uncertain, and she's uncertain, and, and part of her uncertainty is not just the, the customs, it's possible, it's possible, as we'll see, that, that she might have thought, is this guy hitting on me? Now, we know God's intentions, we know Jesus' intentions, but this is a woman who's been married five times, divorced probably that many times, and now the person that she's with, she's not even married to. So her interactions with men has been, they've been largely negative. And if she's been informed as to the nature of men, it might be fair for her to think this guy is talking to me in a, in a what would seem to be inappropriate way or at least the setting seems to be outside of the norm. We're both alone. What, what, are this, what is this guy's intention? And so we're not sure. 
It's ironic that she comes to the well for water unaware of the fact that that the greatest source of water is there. And and that's intentional. John is trying to bring out some some tension here, some, some irony here. But she asks, you know, uh, why are you talking to me? And he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, give me a drink, then you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So you see, God is going to put us in places. God will put us in places. God will put your neighbors in places where our physical needs, our felt needs, will put us in a position to receive from God. Sometimes, especially in America, I think we look at our needs and say, oh, I've got to fix that problem you know, the fact that I need something, it means that God is not with me. The fact that I have needs means that, that aren't being met means that God is not, he's not for me. When in, in reality, sometimes he allows for these things to happen to bring us to our proverbial knees, to, to draw us to the well so that we might see that, that we have a deeper need that he wants to meet. Sometimes our need for provision is intended to bring us to a provider, not just to money. Sometimes our need for healing is not just intended, uh, you know, a quick fix, but God wants us to, to labor in something in order that we come to the healer and know him as the healer. Sometimes our need for rest draws us to not just the desire to lay down and get some sleep or to, to turn our brains off, but to, to meet the Lord of the Sabbath whose rest is eternal and full and real. God has allowed you and me to experience needs so that we can be drawn to the one who can truly meet our deepest need. So Jesus says, hey, if you knew, if you knew, then you would have come to me. And she says, sir, you've got nothing to draw with and the well is deep. What, where do you get this living water? And she misunderstands it. So the word living water, it can, re- it can refer, or the phrase living water, it can f- refer to, to uh, flowing water. You know, stagnant water is dead water. There's no, nothing flowing. We don't know if it's safe or healthy, but if water is flowing, at least in nature, not, you know, not in your neighborhood where it's being fed by. <laughs> but in nature, flowing water tends to mean that it's, it's safer to, to drink. It's coming from a, a, a well. You know, I've got family that live in, in Front Royal, and, and they've got around their, their, um, their house, they've got living water. And that's water that's moving all the time. There's just springs around their house. Um, you can always hear it. It's very picturesque. Um, and so she's like, okay, you've got... You got living water. I don't, I don't see any buckets in your pocket. What's, she's kind of beginning to call him out. What, what are you trying to get at here? I don't see. Are you, are you greater than Jacob? Jacob had a, I mean, he built this well and, and we still need, we still need to have, to have a bucket and some, some tools to pull it out. Do you have a better, greater source of water? And ironically, yes. Yes, he does. And so eventually she says in verse 15, sir, give me the water so that I will not be thirsty. Give me the water. Okay, fine. Yes, where, where is the water? I'm calling you out. And, and this is where the conversation shifts. And she, he says in verse 16, go, call your husband and come here. Oops. I don't, have you ever been in a conversation like that? Maybe you had a conversation. I feel like this is a conversation I might have with my parents where they know something about what I've done. I don't know that they know. And, you're, you know, they're kind of luring you in and, luring you in and all of a sudden where are the markers <laughs> they know you know 
I can't think of a specific example, but, but I, I know that there are instances where my parents, and as parents, we know, you watch your kids and you, you, they think that they're being sneaky, but they're not. And so this woman, she's, okay, you know what? I'm going to put myself out there. Maybe he's interested in me, maybe not. I'll, I'll bite. You know, if it's, maybe he's going to give me a better source of water. Maybe he's interested in a relationship. Either way, who cares? Let's give this a go. And, he, and, and so she's like, okay, I'll bite. And Jesus, go call your husband. She's hooked. He addresses her deepest brokenness. And I say the word brokenness because he isn't just getting at her sin. He's addressing the fact that her her life situation is broken. And some of that, I'm sure, was unintentional on her part. Some of it was not her fault. Now, there are elements of of this that have to have been her fault. I mean, she's living knowingly with a a person. Um, a man, and, and they're having a relationship that is unsanctioned by God, we'll call it. And so he, he addresses and he touches on not just her physical need, but her, her brokenness. And, and the closer we get to God, the reality is the closer we get to him addressing our brokenness. And, and family, there are going to be moments, maybe in church, maybe as you're reading your Bible, maybe in conversation with your friends, where the conversation will move from you know what, I really need God to heal me and I, I, for him to provide for me and I'm so thankful for all that he does to, and he puts his finger on the one thing that we don't want to talk about. Like, oh man, I don't, I don't want to talk about that. And we respond much like she does. You know, she'd been very talkative up to this point when she says, I have no husband. That's it. I, I have no husband. And, and it, again, there's some ambiguity to what she's getting at because is she saying I have no husband because she's caught off guard? Or is she saying I have no husband because I don't want him to think I'm tied up? I mean, either way, he's put his finger on her brokenness and she's kind of being like, uh, and, and she's, she's reluctant to engage in the conversation. And sometimes when you feel the pressure of God weighing down, the guilt of God, the, the conviction of God, it, you want to you shy away. But, but if we look at what Jesus is trying to do, he's trying to bring about healing. He's trying to bring about restoration. The ex- extending this kingdom is not about getting people to come to church. That's, that happens as a result of the kingdom being, extending, being extended, but... but Extending the kingdom is about people coming into a reconciled, healed, holy relationship with God their Father. And that's what Jesus is trying to do here. He's touching her brokenness because her brokenness separates her from this kingdom. He's touching her brokenness so that she can know her greater need that he wants to meet. And so he begins to address her brokenness. She denies it. And he shifts the, from addressing her physical need to addressing her, his brokenness. Um, you know, he does that with all of us. In, in first, first Timothy 1.15, Jesus, Paul tells us that Jesus came to seek and save, or came to save sinners, and he says, of whom I am the foremost, of whom I am the worst. Paul is saying, Jesus came to save sinners, I am the worst. That was the purpose of God to come. That was the purpose of Jesus to, to come, was to, to save sinners. That was his intention, he came, uh, Luke tells us, to seek and save the lost. But in order to do that, uh, he will challenge 
us to confront our sin and shame. So he says in verse uh, 17 and 18, he responds to her, her statement, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now, pay attention to what Jesus does. He, he doesn't shame her, but he doesn't shy away from her sin. And in, in the world, there's two views. There's the, you guys are all going to hell view, which, which basically just seeks to shame people. Now, the, the, there is a truth and a reality to our sin that it does demand a just and right punishness punishment from God, and, and if we don't respond by faith in Jesus Christ, the alternative is hell. That is a real truth. But what he, and what he doesn't do is on, on this side where he says, you know what, not a big deal. So he doesn't say not a big deal, but he also doesn't come and say shame. He just puts the truth in her lap in a way that makes her unable to escape the truth. Now, family, sometimes when we talk about extending the kingdom, when we think about evangelism, we think that we need to be on the streets preaching. And, and I'm not saying that there's not a place for that. You know, God has used street preaching and people being bold in that respect throughout history. But what I am saying is that when we fail to treat people like people, when we either treat them out of fear and try not to say things that will hurt their feelings, or alternatively, we treat them like objects to be you know, that we throw gospel arrows at. We, we reduce them as people. Either we elevate them as God, being afraid of what they have to say and therefore we're afraid to tell the truth, or we, we reduce them to something that is subhuman and say, you know, I'm gonna get this thing saved. And, and what Jesus does is he, he walks this line. He's not afraid of telling her the truth, but he doesn't tell her the truth um, but out of love. And he tells her, he just lays it down in front of her. And, and the reality is that Jesus knows the truth. You know, you guys look amazing. You look handsome, beautiful, all above, you know. And, and you can come to church and, and look great and put on a smiley face and, and I am fooled. But God is not fooled. He is not fooled by my, my attempts to wear a checkered shirt and hide my sin, you know? <laughs> look at the purple, don't look at me. And he's not fooled by your attempts. You can go to church cleaned up, you got your deodorant on, you smell nice, but you can't hide from Jesus. He speaks plainly without additional comment because the truth is heavy enough. And it's funny, we're almost done here, but it's funny that, that when she's confronted with her own brokenness, the woman at the well does what most of us would do. She changes the topic. <laughs> what you have said is true, Jesus says in verse 19, she says, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. I just think that's one of the most hilarious statements in the Bible. She's like, you know what? You sound like you've been to church. Let's talk about church. What church do you go to? I've been there. Yeah, that's nice. They got good worship. I don't like to, you know, I prefer this church over here because I can wear what I want and, you know, we do this whole thing. But do you tell me more about your church? 
You know, at my church, we worship on this mountain, and, it's, and you guys say that you worship on that mountain. I don't know, you know. What do you think about that? And, and again, perhaps there's another reasoning for, for why she changes the topic. Maybe she's legitimately interested in his perspective, and she perceives that. You know, there are some views that would say that she said, when she says, uh, I, I perceive that you're a prophet, she's referring to um, the Old Testament promise that, that there would be a prophet who comes after Moses. So maybe she's not trying to change the topic out of guilt or shame. I have my own personal opinion. Um, when I look at my own history and my own habits and I look at the habits of others when confronted with their sin, I think it's, it's fairly quick and easy to change the topic. But whatever the case may do, she, whatever the case may be, she does change the topic. And, and again, Jesus, when he's, he's, he's masterful. In, in this process of, of having this conversation. Because what I would have done in the moment would have been like, whoa, 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 we were talking about your brokenness. Let's continue. We're not talking about theology. We're talking about your brokenness. But Jesus, he's on for the ride. Oh, you want to talk theology? I know a few things about theology. And she says, you know, you guys say that you worship on this mountain. We say we worship on that mountain. And he doesn't even address that. He doesn't enter into the argument. It's so hard for me. Someone comes to you and says, do you believe in uh, the rapture? And you're like, oh, let's have this conversation. You know, what do you think about uh, this particular pet doctrine? And I'm like, I, you know what? I do have four opinions about that. Let me tell them all to you. No, but Jesus doesn't, he's not interested in having an argument. He's interested in seeing this woman experience the kingdom. And so what does he say? Believe me, the hours coming were neither on this mountain in Jerusalem or that mountain Will we worship? But you will worship what you. Oh, sorry, you worship what you do not know. But we worship what we know. But the hour is coming, and is now here, where the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So He takes her back, and He says, "You know what? This or that. That's not the point here." The point is that, that you were created to worship God, but he can only be worshiped in spirit and truth. God is spirit, he says. God is spirit. He's, he's intangible. He's incomprehensible. We can think about him. We can, we can grasp him, but we cannot compre- comprehend him in his fullness. He's, he's spirit, and we have to worship him by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We have to worship him in truth. And it says elsewhere, uh, elsewhere that Jesus is the truth. And so he's saying, you see the truth before you. You see the truth of God before you. You see God personified in this person, Jesus Christ. And, and God is looking for people who will worship him as he is and as he has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. She still doesn't quite get it. And she says, I know, I know that Messiah is coming, he who's called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. You know, I... I don't know about this spirit and truth thing, but I, I've read in the Bible that, that the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will, he will fix it all. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. Family, when we encounter Christ, and we, when we invite our neighbors, our, our relatives, our, our coworkers to encounter Christ, we're inviting them to to experience not only their need, not only their brokenness, but the God 
who has come to save them. And Jesus comes to her and says, you know what? The Messiah that you're looking for, the the Christ who you're looking for, the, the living water that you're looking for, the stability that you're searching for in these these broken relationships, it's all in me. I am he. Jesus goes through such lengths. He, he, he goes outside of his boundaries, his cultural and ethnic boundaries, and he, he carries the gospel to people who, who otherwise wouldn't have received it. And, and it's amazing because if you keep going, if you were to go back and, and read chapter four, she, she is so changed that she goes to her, her town and, and evangelizes to everyone. And her evangelism is, hey, you guys know how messed up I am. Come and see a guy who knew it before I even talked to him. Her, her testimony was, this is who I am. This is, this is who I am. She doesn't hide it. She didn't try to dress it up. She says, this is who I am. And this is a person who had a, an honest conversation with me in love and truth, who I think is the Messiah. And sometimes when you and I, we try to engage our neighbors, we try and engage our, our friends, our family members, we, we try to, to do more than just say, this is the God who I've met. Family, this, our requirement is not to change hearts. Our requirement, God's expectation of us is to go to people and say, this is the God whom I've met. This is the God whom I've encountered This is the God who drew me to himself with my need. You know, I had these needs. I had this brokenness. You know my life. You know, mom, dad, you've heard how how I was struggling in this area. And and I came to God because he brought me there with my need. But he also touched on my brokenness. And I realized that I'm a broken person, that there are things in my life that, that have been broken because of my sin and because of the sins of others. And he brought healing. And he showed me what it meant to be a true worshiper, to worship God as he truly is. She, she walks away changed. When we encounter Christ in this way, when, as he's extending this kingdom, he is going to engage us and draw us to him with our need. Are you in a place of need right now? You know, when I think about, when I say the word need, does something pop up? You know, oh, I, I need a car. My car broke down. I, I need money. I need this situation at work fixed. I need this relationship healed. I need this health issue healed. What is the need that's drawing you to the cross? What's the need that maybe drew you to church today? And then when, when you hear the word brokenness, what, what comes to mind? What's, what's the thing that's, that's below the surface? You know, if we could just peel back those beautiful smiles, this is gonna sound rough, but what's the pain behind it? Because God wants to address not just your physical need, not just the, the things that brought you to, to today, but he wants to, he wants to address the brokenness in your soul. But he doesn't even want to address the brokenness just to address the brokenness. He loves to address the brokenness, but he wants to do that in order that you might be able to worship in spirit and in truth. That you might be able to come with an authentic, open, transparent heart and say, this is who I am. And this is who God is and I worship him for it. You know, we're coming to church and we're not presenting an image, but all of a sudden we're worshiping the God who, who we've encountered. We're worshiping the God who's, who's truly touched on our brokenness. We're worshiping the God we're not trying to hide our life from. Have you encountered Jesus today? 
If not, I would encourage you to come to him with your needs, come to him with your brokenness and expect for him to turn you into a worshiper. 